many of you brought your Bible with you? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? And I want to ask you to join me now. We're over in the New Testament this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. And I want to read some verses here in a second uh, that uh, I, I trust that the Lord will use to speak to our hearts this morning. Page number 1217, if you have an old Schofield Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And so if you'll locate that, just a minute, I'll read the verses, leave your Bibles open. What I'd like to do is go back and kind of break these verses apart for the message this morning and just share uh, three truths that we find from the Word of God today. Thank you again for being here. And I want to invite you to come back and be a part of our service again this evening. 5.30. Now, our service times, for you that are visiting, our service times are just a little bit different than the normal church uh, because we start every Sunday morning. Our worship service starts at 10 o'clock, and then our afternoon service starts at 5.30. And uh, so just a little different, but we have a Spanish church that meets right after we do. So we come in a little early, they come in a little bit later, and we try to work all that out here in the same building. And uh, so thank you for your patience, and thank you for being here in the service this morning. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, one of the things that I think we are all aware of in these days that we're living in is the various organizations who are seeking cures for different kinds of diseases. You know, almost now, it almost happens every time you go to Walmart or or uh, the food line, or wherever you go, the grocery store, whatever, that when you get to the checkout line, when they finally tell you your total is this, they say something to the effect, hey, would you like to do uh, donate a dollar or two dollars or whatever uh, to, this particular, uh, to this particular organization for research? And, uh, or maybe you go somewhere else, they say, hey, maybe you're at a restaurant and say, hey, would you like to donate a dollar uh, for cancer research or whatever? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with all that. In fact, a lot of times I do donate a dollar if I happen to have an extra one. I do donate a dollar on occasion. But can I tell you today that there is a disease that is affecting our churches. There is a disease that is affecting the modern average Christian of these last days that is absolutely killing us. That's right. There is a disease today that is draining the very life out of the church, and it's called the disease of carnality. The disease of carnality. Now, so we're all on the same page before we even go any further. Let me see if I can define for you what carnality really is, just so we're all on the same page. You know, back earlier in this book, now we know the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that was in an ancient city called Corinth, uh, the city of Corinth. And he's writing to people that have been saved and a church has been started in this very wicked. By the way, Corinth, uh, the city of Corinth was a very wicked and a very ungodly place. Paul wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth. You may remember in chapter 1, Paul's using, uh, writing about the men leaving the natural use of the woman and burning of their lust toward other men and women doing the same. You, you may remember Paul wrote all of that uh, to, the, to the church at Rome, but he was writing that from the city of Corinth. Most people think Paul could just pull his tent flat back and see all of that going on right there in the streets of the city of Corinth. It's a very wicked and a very ungodly place. But some folks had got saved and a church had been started there in the city of Corinth. 
Well, earlier on in this book, Paul identified that there are three people, in, three types of people that are present in every church or three types of people that are present in the world. And, and to work my way into what carnality is, let's identify these three types of people. First of all, Paul talked about, and back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talked about a natural person, a natural person. And Paul said this right here about natural people. He said, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Now let me tell you what a natural person is. A natural person is a person where spiritual life is absent. Now they're alive physically. There are people sitting here in this room this morning, and you are alive physically. Your heart's beating. You're listening to me. Your lungs are expanding and contracting. Your blood is pulsating through your body. You are alive physically, but if you've never been saved, you're not alive spiritually. That's the reason the Bible said over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, and you hath he quickened, and the word quickened means to be made alive, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. You see, the person that has never received the Lord Jesus as their Savior, they're a natural person. They're absent of spiritual life. Now, let's just face it. There's a, uh, you got folks in your family, people that you work with, they're natural people. They have no desire for spiritual things whatsoever. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit don't live on the inside of them. Because once you get saved, there is an appetite on the inside of you for spiritual things. Let's just face it. Lost people don't enjoy the same kind of music that we enjoy. They don't enjoy coming to church and hearing some man stand up and scream at them on Sunday morning. They don't enjoy that. They they don't enjoy the atmosphere. They, they'd, rather, they'd rather be in a, in a, in a honky-tonk or a country, uh, not a country club, well, a country club, or a nightclub somewhere. That's their kind of living. That's their kind of atmosphere. You know why? I'll tell you why. They're absent of spiritual life. They're natural people. They're governed by the principles of the flesh. They're natural people. Then Paul went on to talk about a second group, and that's this, spiritual people. Paul said this about spiritual people. Paul said, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now, what is a spiritual person? Now, listen to me. A spiritual person is a person who has received the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and their life is governed by what the Holy Spirit desires for them to do. Let me tell you something. A natural man doesn't have the Holy Spirit. A, a spiritual person is a person who allows the Spirit of God to dictate, dominate their life. Now, by the way, watch this. A spiritual person is not perfect. Anybody in here perfect? Don't raise your hand. There's nobody in this room perfect. But a spiritual person is somebody who has the same flesh that, a, that a, 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 everybody else has, but in their life, the Spirit of God dominates their fleshly desires. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't sin. Again, it doesn't mean that they're perfect, but it does mean they mind the things of the Spirit. They're a spiritual person. But then there's a third group that's mentioned back in the earlier chapters of this book, and that is the carnal person. Paul wrote back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse number 1 about people who were carnal. They are yet 
carnal. Now, what is a carnal person? What is carnality? Well, listen to me. If a spiritual person is somebody who allows the Spirit of God to dominate their fleshly life, then a carnal person is a person who is saved, who will live in heaven when they die, who has the Holy Spirit living in them, but they allow the fleshly nature to dominate the spiritual nature. That's what a carnal person is. A carnal person is somebody who's saved, who will live in heaven when they die, yet the fleshly nature, the selfish desires, dominates their spiritual nature. They allow the flesh to control their life. You see, somebody once said this. There are two great questions that all of us have to answer in life. The first question, heaven or hell? I'm so glad that I answered that question one day when I received Jesus as my Savior. I am now all five foot seven of me. Thank God some of these days I get to go and live with God forever in heaven. And by the way, it's not because of what I've done or haven't done. It's because of what Jesus did for me on Calvary. I answered that question. Heaven or hell, the question's been answered. I'm going to heaven. But now that I've answered that question, there's a second question, and that's this. Heaven or earth? You see, now that I'm saved, which world am I going to live for? Am I going to live for the heavenly world or am I going to live for this earthly world that I'm living on? Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people, saved people, who want the best of both worlds. Their first answer is, I want to go to heaven. Their second answer is, but I choose to live for the things on the earth. What kind of person is that? A carnal. A carnal person. Listen to this. They want the best of both worlds. Now, I think you'll have to agree with me when I say that is exactly where many of us find ourselves today. People who want to think about God on Sunday and forget about God on Monday. People, people, listen, people who want to put on their relationship with God on Sunday and take it off on Monday. There's no commitment. There's no dedication. There's no faithfulness. And you hear me and hear me well. This sin, this disease of carnality is killing us today. It's killing us. But I got some good news for you. And the good news that I've got to share with you this morning is not that I've saved a bundle by switching to Geico. The good news that I have for you this morning is this. Unlike cancer... Unlike Alzheimer's, unlike heart disease and a thousand of other diseases, I got the cure. There is a cure for carnality. And it's found right here in the Word of God. So let me just, if I can, let's stop the sermon. Let me read for you now the cure for carnality. If you're here in this room this morning and you find yourself in a, in a position of life where you desire the things of the earth more than you desire the things of God, if there's someone sitting in this room today and your fleshly nature dominates your spiritual nature, boy, have I got some good news for you. There's a cure for that today. Let me read it to you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at verse number 19. So we start now with a question. What? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, I told you, you say, preacher, I don't get that. Well, let me just tell you right there is the cure for carnality. 
right there in those verses that I've just read for you this morning will cure you instantly. Hey, it just won't make you feel better for a few days. It will cure you instantly from the disease of carnality. All right? Now sit up. Let's get this. 1041. Let's get three things and let's go to the house. You ready? Let me tell you the first thing that will cure you from the disease of carnality. To remember this, the Savior's purchase of you. The Savior's purchase of you. Now, I want you to notice a phrase right here in these verses that says this. You are not your own. Now, read the next phrase with me. For ye are bought with a price. Now, I want to tell you something. Listen, God should have authority over our life if for no other reason, on the basis of creation. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. God created every one of us that is in this room this morning. Can I tell you that you are not just some primordial slob that laid around in a swamp for millions of years until one day you finally decided that you were going to move out of the swamp and move into the high-rise in downtown? That just didn't happen to you. No, sir. They said it was a frog when I begun to begin, then a doctor, uh, then a... Uh, a, a tadpole, my tail tucked in, then a monkey swinging from a high tree, but now I'm a doctor with a PhD. That's not how this thing works. Can I tell you something? God created you. You are the creative act of Almighty God. Let me just say this. You're the crown jewel of all of God's creation. And can I stop and tell you this? You know why we ought to be faithful to God? You know why we ought to love the Lord like they sang about this morning? You know why we ought to obey the Lord? I'll tell you why. He created us. He is the creator. We are the creature. But I'll tell you something. That, that's not enough. No, sir. You see, well, after God created us, created man, then mankind became lost to God through our sin and through our rebellion. All of us in this room today are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. And because of Adam and Eve's rebellion and disobedience against God, they sinned against God, but not only did their sin affect them, but their sin affected all of their descendants as well. How many of you are a descendant of Adam and Eve? Well, you trace it back far enough. All of us are going to run. All of us are going to run into number one, a, a, a drunken sailor by the name of Noah. And then if you go back further than that, you're going to run into a crooked farmer by the name of Adam. That's right. Every one of us, trace your descent. I don't care what color your skin is, what part of the world you're from, every one of us, if we trace it back far enough, get on that DNA.com and trace it back far enough, you're going to find out you run somewhere into a drunken sailor by the name of Noah and go back further a crooked farmer by the name of Adam. And here's what we read about. When Adam and Eve sinned, look at this, Romans 5, 19, for as by one man's disobedience, who is that? That's Adam's disobedience. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. You see, when Adam sinned, he not only, he not only plunged himself from the lofty heights of innocence into the depths of depravity, he drug every one of his descendants down with him. So today we find ourselves isolated and separated from the God who created us. 
God is now at a distance from us because of our rebellion and our sin against Him. But God looked at humanity. Hey, God looked at you, sir. And ma'am, God looked at you and God said, but wait a minute. Though I created you and you become lost for me, I don't want the relationship to be over. I don't want it to end like this. So what did God do? God sent His own Son, the Lord Jesus, down to this earth. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could have relationship and fellowship with God again. That's the reason. Go back to that Romans 5.19 verse. That's the reason the Bible said, For as by uh, one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Adam's disobedience. We all were made sinners. Thank God it didn't stop there because the rest of that verse says, So by the obedience of one. Who's that? That's God's only Son, the Lord Jesus. So it's by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not perfect, but through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, I've been made righteous or right in the sight of God. I'm telling you something, friend. One of the reasons you and I ought to serve God and obey God and live for God and not allow the tentacles of carnality to creep into our life is because we have been bought with a price. What is the price? That the verse says there in verse 20, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. What is that price? It's the rich, royal, ruby, red blood of the Lord Jesus that He shed for us on Calvary. I'm telling you, we ought to live for God. He ought to be First of all, in our, in our desires, foremost in our lives, I'm telling you, we ought to be faithful to Him and be determined to live for Him regardless of what's going on in the world. And the reason for that is this. He, been, he bought us with a price. Listen, I'll tell you something. Hear me and hear me well. We like that part of the story. We like that relationship part. I'm so glad that I've got a relationship with God. I'm glad he's not some far-off distant deity up there that, that, uh, that I have nothing to do with whatsoever. I'm glad I got a relationship with God. We like the relationship, but can I tell you what gets us? It's that ownership part. It's that lordship part. Because this verse says this, verse 20, you're bought with a price, but right before it said this, it says this, before it said that, it says this, you're not your own. Now, here's where the rub comes in, friend. A lot of us, we want to live in heaven when we die, but we want to live for self while we're down here on this earth. That's where the rub comes in. It's almost like we say to God this, God, thank you for saving me, and I'll see you when I get to heaven. But Lord, for now, you stay up there, and I'll live it out down here on this earth. And friend, it don't work like that. I mean, we don't mind the relationship part. I'll see you when I get to heaven. That's relationship. But that ownership stuff, that stuff of you, God, telling me what I can and can't do, that, that stuff of you telling me that, uh, that I can do this with my body and I can't do that with my body, we almost just want to say, God, thank you for the relationship, but I want nothing to do with that ownership, lordship, part of this relationship. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. This, this relationship with God is not like a buffet line at K&W. You don't go down through there and they say, Meat! Chicken. Vegetable! You pick what you choose, what you want. Brother, I'm telling you something. When you get in a relationship, whether you believe this or not, you automatically become a part of the ownership as well. That's right. Ye, look at that verse, verse 19, ye are not your own. You know, one of the things we hear so much in our day is this, 
Well, it's my body. And nobody will tell me what to do with my body. How many of y'all have heard that before? One of the big things in the abortion movement of America is ladies standing up and screaming, It's my body! And nobody can tell me what to do with my body. You're wrong. You're wrong. Because let me tell you something. Ma'am, if you're married, you don't own your body. Your husband does. And sir, if you're married, you don't own your body. Your wife does. You say, I don't believe that for a second. Drop down four or five verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 4, and let's read this. The Bible said, The wife hath not power of her own body. Read it with me. But the... Let me put that in forsyth County language. The wife doesn't own her body. The husband does. Then it goes on to say this, verse number 4, And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Forsyth County language. Us men don't own our bodies. Our wives do. That's the reason. Look at me. That's the reason. Come here. Any man puts their hands on my property? I know I'm scaring you. That's right. That belongs to me. Keep your hands off of her. If anybody's going to put their hands on her, it's going to be these hands. You know why? my property. And wait a minute. <laughs> not, not the, but, and she's over there. You know what she's saying right now? <laughs> Any woman want to put their hands on my husband? Help yourself. <laughs> no, she ain't saying that. You know what she's saying? Keep hands off. That's my property. Now, wait a minute. So I don't own my body. If I'm married, she owns it. All right? That's this body is for nobody as pitiful as it is. It belongs to her. Nobody else can put their hands on this body except for her. Boy, if we'd live like that, we'd stop a lot of this thinking, running around in adultery. Hey, sir, you don't want nobody else putting their hands on your wife's body. Why are you putting, somebody, why, why are you putting your hands on somebody else's wife? Amen, preacher. You ladies, you don't want nobody else putting their hands on your property, your husband. Why are you letting some other man put his hands on you? I don't own my body. But can I tell you further than that, now that I'm saved? God owns my body. That's what verse 19 said. Ye are not your own. Look at me. This mouth doesn't belong to me. That's why I can't walk around cussing, using filthy language. You know why? It's not my mouth. God's mouth. Come here. Let me tell you something. That's the reason I can't turn a liquor bottle up and pour liquor into my mouth. You know why? Ain't my mouth. Jesus bought and paid for it on Calvary. It's his mouth. Hey, can I tell you this? These lungs, they're not my lungs. They're God's lungs. Somebody say, I'll smoke if I want to. It's my lungs. Now, if you're saved, don't be mad at me. Not my lungs. God's lungs. Better be careful what to do with God's lungs. Yeah, man. Hey, can I tell you something? These eyes. Somebody say, I'll tell you what. You can't. You preach all that stuff you want to preach about that porn, everything else. I'm going to look at what I want to look at because it's my eyes. Now, if you're saved or not, God bought them. God's eyes. 
Amen. Hey, can I tell you something? I say, preacher, you preach against all that country music and rock music you want to preach against? I don't care. I, my ears, I listen to what I want to listen to. Not if you're saved, you don't. Taint your ears. How'd you like that word, taint? Taint your ears. Somebody says, it's my feet. I'll go to nightclub if I want to go to nightclub. It's my feet. Not if you're saved, they're not. They belong to God. Jesus bought and paid for it on, on Calvary. Not your body. Somebody say, I'll lay around. I'll be immoral if I want to. It's my body. No, it's not. Not if you're saved. It's been bought with a price. Can I tell you what ought to motivate us to live for God and lay aside the things of the world? Hey, let me ask you a question. Where are you going to take God's body tonight? You say, preacher, I plan on riding on the parkway this afternoon. I'm going to get me a bucket of chicken. I'm going to ride on the parkway. I'm going to, me and my body going to have a time. If you're saved, you're going to take God's body up on the mountain tonight. Is that what you're telling me? Whoa, boy, I must a lot of people going to go get some chicken right on the mountain today. <laughs> it ain't your body. I'll tell you what, before I got saved, this was a poor piece of property. You know why? There was a condemned sign hanging in every window. <laughs> but I'm glad for this poor property. God paid a prime price on the cross of Calvary, shed his blood, so that I could become His exclusively. Now I no longer belong to me. Let me tell you something. When you got saved, you not only made the greatest decision of your life, but when you got saved, you made the last decision because from now on out, you, here on out, you're not your own. You belong to God. Don't you forget. That'll cure carnality. Remember the Savior's purchase of us. The Savior died to purchase us and so that we could come His very own. So, number one, there's the Savior's purchase. Of. Number two, let's talk about this. This is going so wonderful. Let's just go another step now. Not only the Savior's purchase of us, here's something that will cure carnality, and that's this, the Spirit's presence in us. Look again now at verse 19. The Bible said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the... Holy Ghost, which is in you. Now, wait a minute. What that means is this. You know, when I got saved, guess what happened? God moved inside of my body. Now, God lives on the inside of me. I am now God's temple. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, God has a people for His temple. God, in the Old Testament, God lived in a building. In the New Testament, God lives in our bodies. And every one of us that are saved, the Spirit of God lives in our body. And by the way, remember this. Your body is not like a hotel room with a checkout time of 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. When God checked in, when God grabbed His bags, thank God, the, gra the bag of mercy, the bag of grace, the bag of forgiveness, the bag of... Uh, of, uh, of uh, sweetness and goodness, and God walked in to your heart and set his bags down, there'll never be a time when God will say, you've done so bad, I'm grabbing my bags and I'm walking out. Thank God when he walked in, he'll never check out. I'm telling you, every day of your life, 24-7, 365, God lives in our bodies every moment of every day, 
of every week, of every year of our life. God lives on the inside of us. The Spirit of God. Listen, I heard about this man one time, and boy, he was struggling in the Christian life. He kept giving in to sin and giving in to, giving in to temptation. And when he did that, he felt so guilty and so humiliated. So he finally decided he's just going to go talk to the pastor. So he goes and he talks to his preacher and spends several hours with him. And finally, he left the preacher's office. He thought he had victory, and he went out. And for several days, he did good, real good. Then he fell right back in to that sin and that temptation. So he goes back to see the preacher again. Again, after several hours, he comes out again, three or four days, does great, falls back into it again. Goes and see a preacher the third time. He says, Preacher, here's what I've, here's what I've noticed. Preacher, when I'm around you, I mean, when, when you just around, and I t I mean, I'm talking to you, he said, may I just do so good? He said, I just feel better. You know, if you could just hang around me all the time, I think I could whoop this. And the preacher said, now just think what you just said. You said, if I could be around you all the time, you could overcome this. But he said, have you ever thought about this? God is in you all the time. And he's much more powerful than I could ever be and if you could do it with me there, how much more should you be able to do it if God is there? The Lord is with us every, uh, uh, every, all the time. He's with us everywhere we go. He sees everything we see. He does everything we do. And there will never, ever be a moment when God will leave us. You ever thought about this? God moved in the day you got saved by the grace of God. Can I tell you something? Listen, when somebody as big as God moves in, can I say this? You ought to be able to feel him on the inside once in a while. Now, I know, I know, look this way, I know that we're not saved by feelings. Can I have an amen? We're saved by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus. But I just want to tell you this, buddy, every once in a while, you ought to feel a little bit saved. When somebody as big as God moves in, you ought to feel him moving around in there once in a while. Ask any lady in this room, and we have several ladies. I just found out about two or three more this week that's expecting a baby. Keep on, be fruitful and multiply. If we can't build it from the outside, we'll build it from the inside. Amen. Have them babies. But can I tell you something? Please hear me and hear me well. You know the reason that these ladies know they're expecting a baby? Because every once in a while they'll feel that baby moving around in there. I'm not trying to scare any of our mothers in here, but if that baby ceases to move, may be some problems there. Can I tell you something? When God moves in, when God lives on the inside of you, boy, you ought to be able to feel Him moving around in there once in a while. Not as often as I want to, but every once in a while, God will run into my rib cage over here. Every once in a while, God will hit a lung passing by. Every once in a while, God will get a hold of my heart and jiggle it just a little bit. I tell you, He moved in. He's there. He'll never leave me. He'll always be there. Brother, that ought to cure my carnality just to know that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of me. Then number three, and I'm done. There's the Savior's purchase of us, the Spirit's presence in us. Number three, this ought to cure carnality. Remember this, the Sovereign's plan for us. Now, what is God's plan for us? Aren't you glad God has a plan? God has a purpose for your life, and I'm done. It's 11 o'clock. But can I tell you, God has a purpose for your life. You ever ride around churches today and see these church signs that says this, 40 days of purpose. 
You ever see that? There's a book out, as I understand it, written by a man, pastor's church out in California, and he wrote a book called The 40 Days of Purpose. And churches are adopting that and bringing that into their churches, and they're teaching that. And I haven't read the book. I, I, I don't know what it's about. But I see that a lot on church sign, 40 days of prayer. Can I tell you what God's purpose is for you, and it won't take me 40 days? And somebody said, thank God. And it won't take me 40 minutes? And it won't take me even 40 seconds? You know what God's purpose is for you? To glorify Him in your body and in your spirit. Look at our text. Look at verse 20. You're bought with a price. Here it is. Therefore, since you've been bought with a price, since you're no longer your own, since the Spirit of God lives in you, therefore, do what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are, which are God's. So in other words, God said, here's what I want you to do. This is simple. Let me lay it out for you. Here's what it is. Now, I bought you. I paid for you on Calvary. And you're mine. You don't belong to you no more. You don't call the shots. I do. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to live on this earth and glorify me. Now, let me tell you something. The word glorify, look at that, glorify, that's where we get our English word doxology from. That's right, doxology. I remember I used to go to church with my grandma. My grandma went to a church in Mount Airy, so we would spend the night with her occasionally on, like, Saturday night. We'd get up, I'd go with my mama and my papa to church. And they went to this real fancy uptown church. And uh, so when you walked in the church, the first thing they did is they sang this, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> and then they would come in, man, they'd have these candles, and they'd march in with these candles. And I said, "What? I never heard that. I go to country churches. I mean, we sing, uh, got a mansion over the hilltop. I never heard this. What is, oh, she said, she said, that's what we call the doxology. Oh. So that's what that is. The word doxology means this. Praise. Praise God from whom all blessings. <laughs> that's doxology. Praise. You know what God wants you to do with your body? Praise Him. Now, what is the purpose? Wait a minute, I'm done. What is the purpose of our gathering here today in this building? To praise God, to glorify God. But now, wait a minute. Church is going to be over here in about five minutes. And we're going to be gone, go our separate ways. But just because church is over here don't mean the church shouldn't be over in your body. Because every day, even though we gather here the Lord's Day and on Wednesdays for worship and for praise, can I tell you something? Every day of our life ought to be a worship service going on in our body. We ought to be glorifying, praising God every day of our life. So I got a question and I'm done. How much glory are you bringing to God by the way you're living? How much glory are you and I bringing to God by the way that we are living? You can't glorify God doing your own thing. You can't glorify God calling your own shots. You can't glorify God by committing immorality in your body. You can't glorify God by trying to live for this earth. I'm telling you, you're not glorifying God. You're grieving God. So don't you think it's time we set all that carnality stuff down over here and get back to glorifying God again? Because glorifying God will cure the disease of carnality. Amen and amen. Let's pray.